0: Hello I'm Pastor Michael Shannon with Identity Church in Deltona Florida we're glad that you made a decision to watch the service today please stay tuned after the service for more information about Identity Church now let's go ahead and join the service already in progress uh, if you want to go with me today to a Genesis chapter 4 I've got a word I want to bring you that's kind of part two of what I talked about last time that I was here um, <clears throat> Last time I was here, I, I touched on a couple of things, uh, and, and just really, really quickly hit. Uh, I talked about walking in this day in compassion without compromise, and how you actually sow into the future when you when you walk in compassion without compromise in the middle of a Babylonian kingdom system. So, like for example, Daniel, uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, this guy. He's just famously known for the whole lion's den experience and everything, but that's such a small part of his story. Daniel outlasts multiple wicked kings. And the way he does it is he walks in radical compassion without compromise. He serves, the first king he serves burnt the temple down, took all of the gold out of the temple and took back to his house to have a party. And Daniel loses his identity. He loses his name, the name Daniel, honors God. He gets a new name that honors a demonic spirit. And so he loses, in a sense, his identity from the outside, but he never loses it on the inside. And, and he doesn't actually fight he chooses battles very carefully. He's, he's sincerely listening to the voice of the Lord. And when he pushes back, the one thing he pushes back on is the diet. That was it. He didn't seem to push back on anything else, but that was the one thing God tells him, push back on this. It doesn't make any sense. What's he doing? He's listening to God. But what happens is even though all this stuff is stripped away from him, even though he's under an occupying force, and even though he's literally living in in one of the most evil societies the world has ever seen, Daniel, when he approaches the king with a word from the Lord, would say things like this, O king, live forever. Word of God that this word were for those who hate you and not for you. And so he had this compassion that he actually generated toward people who were opposed to everything he believed in. But because he walked in compassionate honor without compromise, he outlasted multiple wicked kings and got to the point where, listen, Daniel is the most influential person of his day, and he still, to this day, carries influence in the part of the world that he's buried in. Did you know that? He's buried in a town called Shush, or Susa. Ancient Susa was the capital of Persia in its day. And you can go to the tomb of Daniel. It was actually built by Muslims, believe it or not. Because when Daniel died, they put his body in a box. And uh, uh, as the box would wear out, they'd just move his body from box to box. And he's on this canal, right? And there was people on this side and on this side. And they each wanted Daniel's body because wherever his body went, rain fell on the crops, right? This is according to Muslim tradition. So they move it back and forth. Finally, around the year 1100, Uh, A king in the area goes, that's it, you guys are warring over this body, and he takes and encases it in in stone, like a concrete box, wraps chains around it, and sinks it in the river. So you want to find Daniel's body, it's in the bottom of a rushing river, and then they put a shrine out. You can go visit it to this day, but it's in Iran, and in that part of the country to this day, tons of people will go and honor Daniel. So let me tell you how big of a deal Daniel's life is. The compassion without compromise that he walked in literally saved the life of, in Daniel chapter 2, the sorcerers, the soothsayers, and the wise men of his day, the astrologers. King Nebuchadnezzar was going to wipe all of them out, and Daniel goes, I got a word for the Lord from you, but I'm not going to give it to you unless you spare their lives. And the king's like, fine, they can live. And Daniel gives him the word. Well, if somebody saves your life, he's kind of your hero, right? And through multiple years, decades, 70 decades, or seven decades, Daniel lives in this society, growing old, surrounded by magicians, astrologers, and, and wise men, right? So what is he doing? They look at him, and they know two kings now will have made a decree, nobody worships any God but this guy, because this guy's got the true God right here, Right? And so all these people who were interested in the supernatural turned towards Daniel. 400 years after Daniel's death, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The Bible tells us wise men from the east followed the stars, and his own people missed it. But wise men from the east who knew how to look at the stars, where did they come from? The direction of Babylon. 400 years after Daniel's life. Daniel would have been the guy who would have brought them the prophecies of Isaiah. Isaiah written 150 years before Daniel's life. Daniel would have brought them the prophecies of Isaiah about the coming of the Messiah and instilled so deeply in the hearts of these people The fact that there is a Messiah coming who's going to change the world. And here's the word of the Lord about His coming. These people took what they knew. They took what they understood about what God may have written in the heavens for them to know, combined it all together, and the wise men following the stars from the east were the ones who figured it out. Where'd they come from? Daniel's influence. How big of a deal is compassion without compromise? Daniel could overlook the burning down and the destruction of the physical temple in Jerusalem because he could see beyond the gold and the stone to see that there was a temple coming in the incarnation of flesh in Christ. That there was a greater temple, a living temple, not made with human hands, that was going to change the future for all of us. Make it possible for you and I to literally become the living temple of God. Who are the first ones that figured it out? The disciples of Daniel 400 years after he died. How do our disciples measure up today? <laughs> 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 I was kind of going back through our youth group years, Tracy and I were youth pastors, you know, 30 years ago, and I'm thinking, you know, are most of them out of jail? I think. You know, I'm kidding. I think. All, I think only one. Anyway, so, but still, you know, I'm thinking to myself: if, if, if we can so instill the word of the Lord into the generation that we live in, that our influence lives on four centuries later, think about that. That's what a life of compassion without compromise listening to the voice of the Lord and loving the people around you, not necessarily saying, I'm going to judge how I'm going to treat you according to your behavior. I understand you're a wicked, wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, but O king, live forever. The heart after this guy. Crazy. So <clears throat> compassion without compromise. Now, uh, here's the second part of the message, and that is how does that look today? How do you walk in that today? So I'm going to take you on a journey. And it's a journey for me that's been about a year and a half in the making. When COVID hit, I I just had this overwhelming sense of going, God, you're bringing us through something, not doing this to us, but you will bring us through what is being done to us at this moment. And as we come through this, what are some things that we can learn? How can we move from this season out of this season in purity and power, stronger as a church than we've ever been before? And this is an important question to ask and answer. Because a third of the churches, I'm told, a third of the churches that closed during the pandemic will not reopen, and so in a sense, we've some would say maybe we've lost ground, right? I would say I would say it's not necessarily the case. Not every church is built on faith, authentic faith in Christ. So some are built on the the visions of man, the kingdoms of of man, and I get that. I understand that. Um, some people say, well, you know, they're uh, they didn't stand the test because, you know, their faith was weak. No, I don't think that's true. I think they didn't stand the test because their faith wasn't real. <clears throat> There's something about just authenticity in this faith with Christ, right? So we're, we're going through a big, I believe, a pruning time right now. And uh, not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's okay. Say with the loss of church? no, 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 it's it's just a, it's an understanding that God is raising something up that's authentic that can actually stand in the midst of suffering and difficulty. This it's the way it is. Um, <clears throat> I I read something this past week that I thought was so amazing. Um, somebody pointed out uh, to me a uh, uh, in a conversation said, uh, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, he has scars, and. Uh, uh thomas goes and asks hey where are your scars at why did he ask that because isaiah tells us that that jesus would have been beaten beyond human recognition and when isaiah s- says this i mean he's really graphic in the detail but when thomas looks at him he says you know well, he said where are your scars like what's how come you look so good when three days ago you looked like you went through the ringer like what's going on here it's essentially what thomas is asking and jesus shows him his hands and his feet and his side he kept certain scars to put on display for the purpose of testimony but he's not defined by the scars but here's the interesting part that i thought was so fascinating and that is he's resurrected from the dead but he still carries wounds That interesting resurrected and wounded at the same time and if you carry wounds from life don't think it's because you're not resurrected in christ christ is resurrected and he carried wounds right your woundedness is not your identity. Your wounds do not define you. It's your resurrection that defines you. And so often we lose sight of the resurrection and we just look at the wounds. And our wounds are defining by our life, are, are defining our life, but they're for the purpose of putting on display when it comes time to give testimony for what God has done. What they do is point to the resurrection power, in spite of my wounds, I'm still walking. I'm still standing, I'm still alive. I am resurrected and wounded at the same time, just like Jesus. That's kind of amazing. I think a lot of times we think we can't fully, fully embrace the resurrection of Christ unless life is perfect for us. We have no scars. You know, come in and heal my scars, heal my hurts, heal my sufferings. Heal my, and then I can experience, no, that's not the way it works. Life gives us all scars. But it doesn't mean you're not resurrected. And it doesn't mean resurrection power is not in you. And it doesn't mean resurrection power can, cannot flow through you sometimes wounded people make the best healers. Oh yeah. Mhm. Yeah, it's true. All right. Um in Genesis 4, you there? Uh <clears throat> we're going to talk today about the power of the word, but the word that is actually within your blood. There is a sound in your blood, Do you know that? Okay? The Bible says and John 1 says in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, the word is Christ, by the way. Christ has always been has always existed he was always with the father in the beginning was the word it's not that it's not that god the father created jesus when we messed up and he needed to come up with a plan jesus is an uncreated being was always united with the father was always with the father he's as eternal as the father is he is as much god as the father is the very god of very god they're one and the same you've Seen me you've seen the father jesus says and i and the father are one right so in the very beginning was christ in the beginning was the word The Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. John goes on to say, all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made, in Him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. Now, the light, the energy of God is released through the very name of Christ identified in John, which is the Word. It is the Word that releases the light of God, right? Do you understand the power of this thing of the Word? And when God creates in Genesis, He does so through His Word. He speaks, and everything comes into being. And the very first thing when He creates man, the very first thing He tells Adam to do is this. He says to Adam, Adam I want you to name all the animals. And when He says to name the animals... We're talking about walking in compassion without compromise here. When he says to release the sound and name the animals, what he's saying is not give these things something to be called. Uh, I'm just going to make a sound up for that dog. It's not it. He's basically saying, you know how I created everything as creator? I created everything, and I did so through the word. Spoke. Let there be light. Let the earth bring forth. Let the sea bring forth. Spoke everything into being. You are made in my image and likeness. In in Latin, the image of God is the imago Dei. The imago Dei of God is within every single person. The image of God. Now God looks at Adam and he says this. I want you, we're going to try something on a a smaller scale. It's kind of like a workshop here. See all these animals around you? I want you, just like I did, to open your mouth and release a sound that will assign nature to the world that you live in. We're going to start with these creatures here. And God tells Adam that his very first assignment is to actually shift the world around him through what he releases from his mouth. Interesting. Assign nature to the world you live in. Now I want to ask you a question. Just just keep this in the back of your mind for the rest of this, this message today. What if that assignment has never changed? What if that assignment... Belongs to humanity. I'm going to show you in Scripture today. I think it. I think it's true. I don't think it's ever changed. I think the assignment and the power to release that assignment still belongs to you. Okay. In Genesis chapter four, after the fall of man has taken place, God comes to to a guy named Cain. Two brothers, and uh, God comes to Cain after the very first church service on record. At this church service, by the way, Cain and his brother Abel both brought offerings to God. And the very first uh, uh, offering that we ever see being brought to God by these two guys, Abel brings a lamb and Cain brings vegetables. Cain's a farmer, he's raising flocks. So I get that. You bring what you bring. But here's the deal. God accepts Abel's offering. He doesn't accept Cain's offering. You say, well, that's kind of cruel. Why wouldn't you just say thanks for everything? Well, here's the thing. When God looks at an offering, what he looks at is sacrifice attached to the offering. Like when the widow comes into, uh, into the synagogue with the, the two mites, she comes into the temple and she's got two mites, essentially two pennies. There are people in that in that synagogue that could have given the equivalent of a million dollars and it would have been like a drop in the bucket for them. It would have been a lot for the, the synagogue, but, but for them, no big deal, right? They had more left over. She comes in, she gives two pennies, and it's all she has. And Jesus looks at it and goes, there's sacrifice attached to that. She gave more than anybody else. So when you look at that, you see the value of God, and you begin to understand why he accepted uh, Abel's offering, rejected Cain's. Abel had to raise that lamb, had to feed that thing every day, had to care for it. This lamb had, had a, a life within it that Abel could relate to. So sacrificing, giving up that lamb was a big deal. Cain could have just swung by the field on his way to church and grabbed a couple of cucumbers out and dropped, you know, cucumbers, carrots, dropped them off. No sacrifice involved whatsoever, right? Barely even any sacrifice. God looks at it and goes, love that. Cain got some work to do. Now, he doesn't reject Cain. And so God comes to Cain. and He says, Cain, I see on your face what's going on in your heart. He says, I see you're actually angry. Your countenance has fallen. He says, if you do well, it's like Genesis 4:8. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, listen to this, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now it's an interesting thing that God says here to Cain. God does not say to Cain, this is important, God does not say Sin is in you because of what your parents did. This to me deals with the generational curse thing right off the bat. Because a lot of times we find ourselves like struggling with things. Oh, I'm struggling with this because my parents did. It's my parents' fault. It's the generations before me that passed this thing down to me. After the fall, God comes to this guy and goes, sin is crouching at the door. What is the door? It is a barrier between you and something else over which you have authority. You have authority over that door. And in this case, sin is crouching at the door, wanting in. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, you see Jesus say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You guys remember that? And he says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll break bread and we'll build a relationship together. So you have a picture of Jesus at the door and sin at the door, and you're the one with control of the door. So people say, well, I, I'm just dealing with my sin nature. Well, you don't have a sin nature, unless you want one. <laughs> well, What do you mean, I don't have a sin nature? Prior to the cross, maybe you could argue that, but in Colossians chapter 3, it says, put off the old man, put on the new man that is made in the image of the one who created him. When Jesus rose from the dead, You you now, in Christ, are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. He didn't give you a brand new, upgraded, updated sin nature. You and I are a partaker in the divine nature of the One who is literal righteousness. Meaning that you and I are the righteousness of God in Christ. Therefore, you cannot have a sin nature unless you want one. You open the door. Whatever is in is whatever you open the door to. Amazing how that works. We receive everything, both grace and sin, by faith. Everything comes by faith. (laughs) It's harder, listen, you understand, it's harder to maintain the identity of sinner. Listen, listen. The wages of sin is death. Anybody heard that? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do you get wages? You work for Him. How do you get a gift? Just receive it. You have to work to keep your sin identity. (laughs) You got to work to be a sinner. You know what work does? Makes you feel like you accomplished something. Boosts your ego. Yeah. Yeah, you built that yourself. <laughs> the entirety of our life with Christ is letting go to let the Word become flesh in us. <laughs> Just receive by faith what He's speaking over you. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. <laughs> wow. But I look at what I've done, see? And that defines what I do. So what I've done tells me I'm a sinner. Was that doing easy? No, it was a lot of work. A lot of effort went into that sinning. I don't want to give up all that effort overnight. (laughs) Because see, if, if I don't have to work for the grace I've been given, that means... An entire lifetime of surrender to God makes me no more holy than the guy who got saved two minutes ago. That's right. And you got to be okay with that. All right. So, <clears throat> rabbit trail. God comes to Cain, says sin is crouching at the door. <clears throat> and then, and you would think in that moment that Cain would go, Oh my goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the counseling session. I appreciate that. And go out and make things right with his brother. He doesn't do that. Cain goes out into the field and has a confrontation with his brother and, and and murders his brother. So understand that the very first church service ever in history on record results in fifty percent of the congregation murdering the other fifty percent of the congregation over an offering. So, <laughs> so the church is off to a great start, Charlie. <laughs> you understand there's nowhere to go here from up but but up i mean there's like there's no there, you can't sink much lower than that so so god comes to cain and goes cain what have you done and then god says something so interesting got to read this here it says the voice of your brother's blood listen to that the voice of your brother's blood It's crying out from the ground. It says, the ground has opened its mouth to receive the blood of your brother from your hand. And now, from now on, this ground will no longer work for you. It's a really bad prophetic word to give to a farmer. (laughs) What's God saying to Cain? Cain, you murdered your brother. And something happened. (laughs) Your brother said something from his blood that has set things in motion. And this is an important thing to understand. God doesn't curse Cain. There's no place in the Bible that tells us that God cursed Cain. As a matter of fact, what God does, his intervention, is to protect Cain. What God simply does in this story is acts as a messenger to inform Cain something has been set in motion here. And I just need to let you know about it. What your brother spoke from his blood. We're going to talk about what that is in a second. What your brother spoke from his blood, the earth is bound to obey. And as a result, from what, what your brother said, there was a curse released in that word that the earth is literally going to be responding to. Just want you to know that. Now, what is the voice of your blood? The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue, the Bible also says life is in the blood. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, which pumps and circulates the blood, your mouth speaks. So you can tell what's in your blood by what comes out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. What did God tell Adam to do? Name the animals. Open your mouth and assign nature to the world around you. What does God tell Cain? Something your brother spoke from his heart has released into the atmosphere. Something has happened in this atmosphere Listen to this. This is the part that gets me. You say, you think Adam's mandate still belongs to us? What God tells Cain is what your brother spoke from his heart, the earth is now bound to obey. Is it possible, and this is after the fall, is it possible that in, in our imago day, the image of God within us, that we have the power to open our mouth and for better or for worse, release blessing or cursing, life and death, and the world, the atmosphere, the physical world around us literally is bound to respond. I think so. I'll give you a couple of other examples as we kind of move on in, in this journey here. Um, uh, you guys remember when Moses leads the children of Israel into the wilderness, and when he leads them out, uh, this is what, this is what uh, God tells him. It says, uh, these people need a drink, and um which i do too so i'm gonna grab this uh it says uh these people need something to drink and so here's what you do see that rock over there i want you to speak to that rock and moses is having a bad day he's tired of being like the only customer service representative for over a million people who are very very upset and so he's he's got a stick in his hand right (laughs) any pastor on earth can identify with moses right so Moses got a congregation over a million people and he's, and he and then they're all having a bad day, and they all want something to drink, and Moses is like, what do I do, God? And God says, go talk to that rock. And Moses is like, I don't feel like talking to a rock today. I'm having a bad day. I don't feel like talking to anybody anymore. And he takes that stick, and in anger, he goes over, and he smacks that rock. He stewarded with anger what he was supposed to steward with sound from his blood. Now, water came out of the rock because in the Imago day, the image of God, he carries a power that God gave him the permission to release that power. He releases it, but not in the way God told him to. And you think, what's the big deal that people got the drink that they needed? Yeah, but here's the thing. That one infraction, disobedience to the word of the Lord, cost Moses his trip into the promised land. What's God doing here? He's trying to tell us that how we steward the atmosphere around us actually matters. It matters, and not just in the Old Covenant. Everything gets ramped up in the New Covenant, and we still, 2,000 years after the cross, don't understand this. God came to Daniel in Daniel chapter 2 to reveal through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, old King Nebuchadnezzar, who was as as crazy as a bag of hammers. God God looks at Daniel and says, go tell this guy how much power I've given that king. And God comes to, to Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel, and Daniel says to him, God gave you authority and dominion over everything, even the birds in the sky and the beasts of the field. And this tells me something really important. And that is, you don't have to be a believer to carry spiritual power. Spiritual power is released into this atmosphere whether you're a believer or not. Why? Because you carry the Imago Dei, the image of God. If Nebuchadnezzar had that kind of power and he was as wicked as they come, Imagine what you and I have in Christ because of what the cross accomplished. So, pass all the way down through the Scriptures, you see time and time again, Isaiah 24 carries this incredible revelation that Isaiah gets where he says, the earth is tottering to and fro like a drunken man. It's shaking like a shack in the Why? Because the transgression of the humanity is heavy upon it, weighing upon it. Oh, it's the sin in the hearts of people. What is transgression and sin? It's the fact that we lose our sight of who we are. We lose sight of our image and likeness. And and we begin to act according to our own way and our own will. What ends up happening? We start to release a sound that is out of harmony with heaven. And when we do, what happens? The earth suffers. So go with me to Romans chapter 8. And this is where we're going to start to jump into new covenant language and territory here. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, verse 19. Oh my goodness, this is one of the most amazing, amazing words. And it gets preached on a lot. But I want to I pull this apart line by line and piece by piece and hang on because I, I don't want you to get lost in this part. This may be the most important part of the message. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. It says, the anxious longing of creation is waiting for the appearing of the revelation, the revealing of the sons of God, sons and daughters, children of God. In other words, a couple of things about this verse are really important. First off, the earth knows who you are before you do. The atmosphere around you, the world around you, the physical world around you that God has made literally knows who you are before you even know. And it's waiting for you and I to get a clue. The Earth is literally anxiously waiting for us to discover who we are. It goes on to say this: for creation. Now listen to this. Where we're going to break it down. Creation was subjected to futility. And what does futility mean? Futility is like it's like uh, it's like going and sweeping the beach. Somebody tells you sweep all the sand off the beach. You're like. I can do that, but that is futility, and it's true, right? Creation was subjected to futility. In other words, there's a pretty good chance something could go wrong with what was about to take place. I'm creating people, God says, in my image and likeness with the ability to choose to accept or to reject me. Wow. It's almost like the earth goes, hey, time out. You know, this, this could actually go bad. Like within a few generations, this could go really bad. Who knew it would be the very first couple that would mess everything up, right? Right? but it was bound to happen. Somebody was going to choose to reject God. Somebody was going to select something other than what God desired. And so creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, Romans 8 says. Think about that. In other words, creation didn't sign up to obey you. It's not like it said, hey, let me be subject to these people made in your image and likeness. That'll be so much fun. Creation was subjected to futility, Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That's God. And it goes on to say, in hope, and this is where it gets awesome, that creation itself would be set free from its slavery to corruption. Whoa! What what do we got going on here? If I am a slave, let's say I'm, I'm a slave of Charlie's, that means I have no will of my own. I can't make my own choices. I have to align with the will of another. I have no other choice. So how do I know what Charlie's will is? I have to listen for his word. And through his word, he would communicate to me what his will is, and I can align with that word, right? So the Bible tells us that in Romans 8, creation is enslaved. To what? To us. Even in our corruption, it's bound to obey us. But here's the hope. It says creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that this creation would be set free from its slavery to corruption into what? The freedom, the glory of the children of God. The glory of the children of God. Okay, so what is glory? Now, I think I define this almost every time I ever preach here. But people still ask the question, how do you define glory? What is glory? Moses goes to the mountain three times. Third visit, God says, I am going to make all of my goodness to pass before you. You know why God said that that to Moses? Because Moses asked God if he would do something. Show me your glory. God's like, okay, I'll make all my goodness to pass before you, and I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's what I talked about last time that God's goodness, if you're ready to see it, is so amazing, it will offend you. Why? Because God loves everybody you hate. <clears throat> yeah, it's tough. That's a hard one, right? So, so you say, well, wait, wait. That, that goodness of God, that glory of God... They're the same? Yes. The glory of God is the goodness of God on display. It's the manifest goodness of God. Okay? Now, if you go to, uh, uh, is it uh, um, uh, 1 Corinthians? Wait, sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it says Now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all you could ask or think according to power at work in you, to him be glory in the church. To him be glory, that's true but where does it come from? In the church. So where is the manifest goodness of God supposed to be demonstrated? In the people of God. How is that goodness released into the atmosphere in a way that releases the glory of God in such a way it can cover the earth as water covers the sea? It begins here. The Bible calls it through the foolishness of preaching, the declaration of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the exaltation of the word made flesh dwelling among us. The fact that when we release that word into the atmosphere, something in the atmosphere changes and shifts, and the goodness of God starts to be manifest in this world around us. The amazing, amazing thing. And you say, okay, wait, wait, wait wait a minute. What what does that even look like? Well, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22... Hebrews 12.22 says that you and I, present tense right now, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the church of the firstborn, New Jerusalem, myriads of angels, uh, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to God the judge of all. And it goes on to say, and this is where we want to end, to Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant of the sprinkled blood, who speaks a better word. Then the blood of who? Abel. Well, we're full circle back to Abel all over again. In that line, you see the Bible contrast what Jesus says and what Abel says. And here's the thing, they're so much more alike than they are different, right? Because Abel was righteous, so was Jesus. Abel was killed by somebody who should have loved him, so was Jesus. Abel was murdered unjustly, so is Jesus. But the difference is in what their blood said. Whatever Abel said, and we don't know what he said. We can just see how the earth responded. Wherever Abel said, the earth literally responds by releasing a generational curse over Cain that follows him all the days of his life. Jesus, from the cross, says this phrase. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's the last act on the cross of forgiveness is to forgive our ignorance. What? Grace. You don't even know what you're doing. By the way, that would include both thieves. Everybody down there. All these people down here? I mean, who's not who's who's not in that? Everybody standing there. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Whoever is ignorant at the cross, He releases innocence over them. When Jesus does this, just as Abel released a generational curse, Jesus released a generational grace. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, comes to you and I today. And that's the power of the Word of God. I want you to think about this with me. What He declared and released over you in that moment, the revelation of innocence. Spoken in that phrase had an extraordinary effect. When Jesus died, remember the Earth pitched a massive fit. Earthquakes, rocks shattering, clouds rolling back. But nobody died. The earth didn't kill anybody.n't that interesting. Why? Because Jesus had just released grace over these people. Matter of fact, the earth does exactly the opposite. It spit a bunch of dead people out of the ground. They started walking around like, what, what year is it? What's going on? Which makes me wonder, are they walking around still today? Uh, we were just in San Diego uh, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, uh, back, and there was a guy, you, you see a lot of homeless people, you can go to the cities, whatever. It's you know, relatively common, people experiencing homelessness in whatever state they're in. This guy was in full-on sackcloth like, Like he had just stepped out of a time machine, big old wooden staff, hair that looked like it's never seen water, long, shaggy beard. My son and I are watching this guy walk in a crowd in front of us. And Britton looks at me me and goes, he has come from afar. I'm like, yeah, he might be one of those people that just got spit out of the ground. He's like, still here, still wandering around. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? It's just interesting to me that in that moment, something happens that the earth literally responds to the word of the Lord in that moment. I just think it's beautiful. But here's the thing. In Psalm 20, 24, 1 says this, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. But now God has given you and I charge over this earth. How do we know that? Write this verse down, okay? This is an important one to write down. Psalm chapter 116, verse 15. It's either 11516 or 11615. I think it's 11516 all right let's go with Psalm 115 verse 16. I'll send you on a quest. one of those says this the heavens were made for God, but the earth he has entrusted to the children of men. the heavens were made for God, but the earth he has entrusted to the children of men so Let's bring it all down, tie it up into a nice bow, and and land on something super practical. You and I are learning how to steward the sound of our blood. You and I are today in, in this new covenant reality because of our union with the Lord. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we're learning to steward the sound in our blood. And we're learning also the fact that the sound that is released around us can have effect on the world around us. It's actually true. But here's the thing. I think if you are a believer, I do think it carries more weight because the Bible says one sets a thousand to flight, two can set 10,000 to flight. I think the earth is listening for people made in the image and likeness of God who resonate with the frequency of heaven, who literally are in alignment with what heaven's sound is like and gravitates toward that, Right. So I think it is a big deal that you and I come into partnership with what heaven's saying. Now, Jesus taught us actually how to release sound in a way that impacts the world around us. One day, uh, he's in a boat, and he's sleeping, and the wind and the waves are stirring up the water. And you guys remember, uh, the, the disciples look at Jesus, and they never ask him to calm the wind and the waves, by the way, in the story. This is what they say. Don't you care that we're perishing? And this is what circumstances in our life do. It, they cause us to actually question the goodness of God. And that's what they're doing in this moment. You don't care about us, is what they're saying. Jesus gets up, and he calms the wind and the waves. How does he do it? With a word. And then he turns to them and says, How come you guys don't have any faith? Here, here's the thing. They didn't realize the power that they carried even before the cross. We don't realize the power we carry after the cross. Okay. What is he teaching us how to do? How to steward the sound that we release to have an impact on the world around us. One day Jesus goes to a fig tree. He finds a fig tree and it's no figs on it. But it's not the season for figs. You know what Jesus does? He cursed the fig tree. What is he doing? He's teaching the disciples something really important. And that is that even the most righteous among us can come into partnership with a release of death and have an impact on the world around us. Jesus sacrifices this little fig tree for the sake of giving an object lesson to these disciples who are like, it's crazy, like nature obeys this guy. But Jesus says, 1 John 4, 17 says, as, uh, as he is, so are we in this world. In John 20, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you. It means that there's something of what he carries that is to be released, stewarded, and released from within us. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. In other words, when you align with the frequency of heaven, the sound that comes out of your mouth will actually bring results. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Here, here's, here's the most practical way I can make it. You guys remember the time when Jesus told them about how to move mountains? He says, tell you the truth. He says, say to this mountain, you be removed. Say. Say. Speak to this mountain. Speak to this mountain say, be removed and cast into the sea. And don't doubt in your heart, but believe the things you speak will come to pass. You will have whatever you say. What is he saying? The sound that you release is actually going to impact the atmosphere around you. And mountains don't just represent this physical world. It's every circumstance, every problem, every situation that exalts itself against the knowledge of God in your life. Right? But Jesus, and listen to this, Jesus would not have taught us about how to move mountains just in one spot. I think there's got to be more in the Bible about moving mountains. And there is in Isaiah. Isaiah, God comes to Isaiah and says, uh, here's some mountain moving uh, 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 revelation for you. And we've made a song out of it, by the way. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall what? Break forth before you. There shall be shouts of joy. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Anybody remember singing that song many, many years ago? Shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains of the hills break forth. That's Isaiah. And, and God says through Isaiah, here's the posture of the heart when it comes to moving mountains. Jesus teaches us how to move mountains through what we say. Isaiah teaches us the heart posture of how we say it. Okay? And this is what he says: You shall go out with joy. Right? Now, listen to this. Where do we find joy? In the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of what? So here's the way that I start. This is the way that you move into every day, into every situation, into every meeting you have, into every interaction you have throughout your life. This is how you posture your life to walk into mountain moving moments, right? Where you're literally walking in favor. Stay conscious of the presence of the Lord always. Begin your day with a conscious awareness of the presence of the Lord. Move throughout your day with an awareness of the presence of the Lord. Don't just let that conscious awareness of the presence of the Lord be in these gatherings, these corporate gatherings. Let it be every moment of every day, everything that you do, you are consciously aware of the presence of the Lord, which means you make yourself available to listen, to hear His voice, and you'll be surprised when He'll speak to you Mm -hmm. and how He'll speak to you. You think you're just mindlessly turning your brain off to watch a Hallmark Christmas movie and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you're like, I don't even know what this movie's about, but I just got revelation from God. Charlie and I have had tons of conversations about this. Songs on the radio, commercial you see, something you read, a billboard, a random word from somebody that you don't even hardly know Suddenly, God uses just about everything around you to speak to you when you maintain a conscious awareness of the presence of the Lord. And as His Word comes to you, what happens? Your heart is continually filled with joy. So you go out with joy. In other words, I begin and move throughout my day with a conscious awareness of the presence of the Lord and my heart postured to hear His voice, right? So I'm living in surrender to the voice of the Lord. I'm living in surrender to the sound of heaven, the frequency of heaven. So that's not where it ends, though. You go out with joy. I'm propelled by joy. I'm propelled through life by joy, and awareness of the presence of God. But it says, you be led forth with what? Go out with joy, be led forth with peace. Peace is what? It's not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Jesus. Peace is literally the person of Christ. Peace is a person. It's Jesus himself. So what do I do? I am aware, consciously aware, of my, my my reconciled rest in union with God. I'm seated in heavenly places with Him. I'm I'm one with Him. The head, not the tail, above and not beneath. I, I am hedged in behind before He's laid His hand upon me. I, I'm, I'm in Him, and He's in me. John 14, 20. Now I am walking aware of that joy every day, but I realize that the Spirit within me, of Christ within me, is bigger than my body, so He goes before me. And as Jesus, the Prince of Peace, goes before me, all of the wind and the waves and the mountains and all the junk, all that stuff gets dealt with. I'm sitting there walking into breakthrough everywhere I go. Why? Because I'm being led by joy, or I'm I'm being propelled by joy and led by peace. When I stay conscious and aware of the moving power of the joy of the Lord, and I follow the peace of the Lord, every step I take will be in breakthrough. That's the way life goes. And I gotta tell you, here's the thing, it doesn't mean you won't face suffering, it doesn't mean you won't face difficulty. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he says, uh, these things I've spoken to you, I've released a sound over you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I've given you guys this before, but it just bears repeating. In this world you will. Future tense. Have trouble. There is actually suffering coming into every single person's life. Person of faith. Person has no faith. We all face moments of difficulty. Every one of us. Right? This happens. In this world, you will have trouble. Man, I don't like that. But here's the contingency plan. Be of good cheer. In other words, stay connected with joy by an awareness of the presence of God. Be of good cheer. I have, past tense, overcome the world. What is he saying? We would love for him to take all the mountains and just move them out of the way, take all the problems, just move them to the side, deal with all the suffering and everything. That's not what he does. It's Not what he does. The faithfulness of God is not that He keeps you and I from pain and suffering. The faithfulness of God is that He equips you with everything necessary to walk through and victorious on the other side. He gives us all kinds of gifts and graces. He gives us the the words of spiritual fathers and mothers that sustain us and and fill us with life and align us with the heart of God. He gives gives us people in our life. He gives us congregations like this, church families in our life that come around you and actually can walk with you through these things. He gives you all kinds of gifts graces and tools, but most of all, He gives you His Holy Spirit. It's, It's almost like Jesus is going, look, I understand, and I can see your life, and I can see there's stuff coming that you can't even see here, I want you to know that I've equipped you with everything necessary to walk through it and remain victorious on the other side because victory is your destiny. He knows how powerful you are even when we don't. When we don't know how powerful we are, he's fully aware of it. And not only that, he gives us more power than I think we can even handle. It's like handing a kid the keys to a, you know, a, a, a Maserati. You're like, why are you giving me this? He trusts us when we, we aren't trustworthy. The Bible says when we're faithless, He remains faithful. Why? Because it's His faithfulness that ultimately will sustain you. His faithfulness. He said, when I go through difficulty, Bill, I feel like God has forgotten me and I feel forsaken. There's a big difference between feeling forsaken and being forsaken. Big difference. Big difference between feeling all of us will have moments in life we feel forsaken. If you don't give up and you continue to let the joy of the Lord propel you forward. Listen, how did Jesus walk this out probably better than anybody else? And this is what the Bible says. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was literally able to go through the worst suffering humanly imaginable. Why? Because he was so anchored in joy that he knew on the other side of that mountain there was there was victory. Listen, I'm just feeling like the Lord is teaching us how to steward the sound in our blood. This is how we walk in compassion without compromise and shape the course of history for generations in the Spirit and that is we begin to learn to steward the sound of our blood. Pay attention. Start with your own household. And understand that the prophetic words you actually release in your home actually have power too. If you want to affect the atmosphere in your home someday negatively, just turn on the news. Just let it play in your house. Some of you are like, I have the news on in my house all the time. Wow, maybe that's why I'm dealing with the depression. Possibly. Why? Because there's a sound. There's a sound to be released into the earth. Pay careful attention to the sound that you allow to be released into the atmosphere of your own life. And, and let me give you the biggest, probably the biggest punchline of this whole thing. If the sound of heaven can release life, healing, and health, into the earth around us? The atmosphere around us? Ask yourself this question, what am I made of? You're made alive by the Spirit of God, but you're physically created out of the dust of this earth. Could it be that there is a key to divine healing in learning how to steward the sound in our blood? Tracy wrote a book, we don't have it with us here, but she wrote a book called Soul Reformation, Wholeness for the Body. And some years ago she was in a car accident and was left with a just recurring, ongoing pain condition. And, uh, uh, and, and this is something she and the Lord came up with on their own. Just she just, I wake up one day, and, and she's over here with this, this uh, her computer, and she's reading, physically reading, declarations over herself. And God added line by line and word by word, and eventually it came out to about 30 minutes long it takes to read the whole thing. And uh, <clears throat> and she sat there, and, and even though doctors couldn't figure out how to get the pain to go away, she didn't want to get on pain meds or anything, she's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. God, you got to give me a word, and word by word and line by line. She kept reading and reading and declaring and declaring. And something eventually happened. and One day the pain was just gone, and it's never returned. There's something about that. So she created this little book called Soul Reformation, Wholeness for the Body. And now she's got like a, there's a, a, a battered women's shelter that orders these things by the case because it's had such a profound effect as these women sit around and will speak this, not just over themselves, but over each other. It's like reading it to each other, speaking it over themselves. The Bible is filled with promises and declarations of God over your life, life that is life to your body and healthier flesh. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He will quicken, make alive this mortal body. And maybe I just figured out the key to why she looks so much younger than I do. I don't know. I didn't say I had this down. I'm preaching this because I need it, right? So listen, we're all learning how to steward the sound in our blood. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. I want you to ask this question. Just close your eyes for just a moment and ask this question. In this last season, have you partnered with judgment and offense in any way? Thank God wants to release within us a divine blood transfusion. A divine blood transfusion. Would you put your hands out just like this. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. And Charlene, turn this back over to you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that right now in this room, across this room, there would be like an IV drip of the sound of heaven into our blood. God, that from the abundance of our mouth that our, our our words would begin to align with the life-giving power of heaven. Holy Spirit, come and just remove offense and judgment from within our heart. Let's walk free from the chains of offense and judgment. God, give us a multi-generational perspective, of view to be able to see beyond the years past the calendar of what we could even have conceived or dreamed in our mind to see literally generations into the future and know that the words that we speak will carry power far beyond even the heartbeats in this body lord teach us to steward the sound of our blood god i pray that by the power of your holy spirit lord that even even new tongues would be released into into this people the company of people, fresh, new tongues, interaction with your Holy Spirit as your spirit speaks through us, God, and by the power of your spirit, Lord, we would speak with new tongues, releasing new sounds, new sounds, not just in the spoken words that we declare, but even new sounds in music, new sounds in worship, new sounds in corporate declaration, lifting our praise up to your Lord. And Father, may a wave of healing, may a a touch of divine healing and health and wholeness be upon us as we release the sound of heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Take and put your hand over your heart. I want you to say this with me. Say, body, you were meant to be whole. You carry the image of God. You carry the life of heaven. There's no room for disease. There's no room for sickness within this body. This earth is blessed by the Spirit of God. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. You believe that? (laughs) Begin to look for changes. Begin to look for changes even physically in your body. As your body becomes a Recipient of the life giving power of the Spirit of God within you. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise today. Amen. Thank you for watching. For more information about Identity Church, visit us at identitychurch.net or come visit us on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 777 Deltona Boulevard in Deltona, Florida. God bless.